Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to season four of Owning It, the anxiety podcast with me, Caroline Foran. I'm the author of Owning It and The Confidence Kit. And my guest this week is Dr. Mali Coyne. For anyone who's read my first book, you will absolutely know her name. She was the expert voice that underpinned everything I was saying throughout that book. And Mali is a clinical psychologist. She has since gone on to write her own book and it's called Love In, Love Out, which is a compassion-based guide to parenting your anxious child. And now that I have a little boy of my own, now in fairness, he's only a couple of weeks old, it's a book that I will be keeping close by to always look out for any signs of you know, him trying to understand little worries or fears and how to manage them for him as he grows up. So it's out now, it's widely available, and for anyone who's anxious as a parent or who finds that their child is presenting with any anxiety symptoms that maybe they can't make sense of, this is the book for you and what follows is the episode for you. From knowing what signs to look out for to helping your little one understand their worries and their fears, it's all in here. And I really hope you enjoy. I'm so, so happy to be joined over Zoom by Dr. Mally Coyne, who was just my absolute savior and expert voice throughout the experience of writing Owning It. Um, so you'll definitely recognize her name through there and then over TV and radio and print and everything since across Ireland. And now she is back with her own book. And this is a book that is about to become very relevant to me as it's, it helps you with looking after your kids with anxiety and the anxiety you might feel as you try to navigate it with your kids. But I will let her introduce us to the concept of the book. Mally, welcome. Hiya, Caroline. So lovely to be on your podcast. Woohoo! Thank you so much. Yeah, no, I'm so excited to be able to talk to you now about your book instead of you helping me with my book. This is amazing. So for anyone who isn't familiar, uh, before we get into the book, can you just give us a little bit of background into your role and what you do and what you specialize in? Well, I'm a clinical psychologist who's been working in that job for about 20 years, I would say. And my specialty is working with children and teenagers and families. So uh, anxiety would be just one of the topics that I would be really interested in. And I guess, Caroline, just to say, I wouldn't have written my book if I hadn't uh, been part of your book. So thank you very much for that opportunity. Oh, thank you. No, you're, you're welcome. But I mean, you would have you would have been able to get there by yourself without me. I'm not sure. But yeah, so the, so in other words, like I suppose kids are my specialty and a book on anxiety I felt was very relevant because there's such a kind of an increase in the amount of anxiety we're seeing, as you know, amongst people of all ages. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a much more delicate area, I find, because if you look at kind of my podcast series in my book, my goal is to share what's worked for me, okay? But I'm an adult and I can speak for myself now from, I can look back on my childhood and try to make sense of things. But I, and also I'm, I, as I keep reminding people, like I'm not a professional, I'm not a clinical psychologist, I'm not a therapist. I don't have any of the relevant pieces of paper to, to qualify me to give advice on how to help with your, your children's anxiety. But it is a diff, slightly different approach to how you would 
talk to someone in their 30s about anxiety. Am I right? Yeah, I suppose it is because children really look to their parents for, you know, help in understanding the world. And if a child is anxious, they really need their parents' help with that. But I suppose there are similarities in that, as you know yourself, when you have felt very anxious, you have needed safe people around you and kind of safe practices to help you. But I suppose children are a lot more dependent on their parents for that. And I find that a lot of anxious kids might have one parent who who has anxiety as well or who feels anxious. Mm -hmm. So that can be quite a tricky balance. Okay. And the book is called Love In, Love Out. And it's out now. It's available in all good bookstores and online. And can you just give me a little bit of um, insight into what this book offers someone? Well, I suppose it's a book directed at parents who have children of any age, of any who've experienced anxiety, whether it be mild, moderate, severe, it doesn't really matter. I think it's just, it's a book for parents who kind of want to, you know, find out a little bit more about their own reactions to their children's emotions, not just anxiety, but all of their emotions and what that kind of brings up inside themselves and then how they can respond to their kids. So the whole idea of love in, love out actually came from this really uh, amazing author called Glennon Doyle. I'm sure you've heard of her. Mm-hmm. She's, uh, she's done a lot of work with Brene Brown and Liz Gilbert and all of that. And it's this idea of if you kind of... As as a parent try to bring love into your relationship with yourself then you're better able to actually exude love out to your children and to the world so it's it, it was a really important kind of concept this idea of you know parents needing to the importance of parents kind of looking at themselves and their own kind of how they feel in response to their child's feelings and their anxiety. And that being like the first step before parents can actually respond to their kids' anxiety. It's so important, I think, even for myself as I approach motherhood, the shift and the focus tends to become so much on the baby and the child. And I think I know enough at this stage to know how important it is that my mental health is as valid and I can't pour from an empty cup and I think parents need to realize that looking after themselves first and foremost it's like the oxygen mask theory you know so it's amazing that this book addresses the parent side as well as the child side because I don't think you can have one without the other no and I guess that's one thing like when I was writing my book proposal I had to figure out like what was different about this book and you know, for me, that whole compassionate approach, it's all about this, com- it's, it's a therapy yeah. called compassion focus therapy that kind of looks at um, the way we all are, we, we, all, we have three emotional circles, one is threat, one is drive, one is soothing. And very often when we're in threat mode, our, our circle is very big. We, have a, we, we all have a kind of a, a big fear threat response. And the only way I suppose to counterbalance that is by soothing. And that's for a parent to be able to kind of soothe themselves, you know, using self-reflection and actually minding themselves so that they're able to actually mind their kids. And a lot of that is to do with social connection as well. So I thought it was a really important, like in my book, I have this acronym called SAFE. And it kind of brings a parent gently through the different steps that a parent would need to go down in terms of responding to their child. So um, the S is for self-care and that's, you know, that was kind of the most important first step to go to, to, to start with. And then the, the rest? The rest is anchoring. So anchoring is the A and it's where, how you can help your child feel safe and secure knowing that you're there for them and helping your child to regulate their emotions. So basically the parent is saying to their child, you are safe and the child is asking, am I loved? And the parent is saying, you're safe. So really, like safety is one of the most important things. As you know, Caroline, when you're in the middle of a panic attack or anything, you you kind of need to feel safe. If somebody Mm -hmm. tries to use reasoning with you when you're in that really anxious moment um, or to tell you that there's nothing to worry about, like I know this as a child, you knew this as a child as well, it doesn't work. So a child, a child relies on their parent as their anchor. For me, I'm using the whole concept of attachment theory, which I'm sure you'll, you'll know all about once you have your baby, which is all about how the child, um, you know, they survive, a baby survives by attaching to their parent and their, their parent provides that kind of 
support to the child in terms of tuning into their emotions and helping them with their emotions. And so therefore, I thought anchoring was really important as a concept. I love that kind of metaphor of an anchor. Mm. And then the F is for feeling felt, which is an idea by Daniel Siegel in his book, The Whole Brain Child, which is helping your child feel connected and understood by relating to them. So the parent says, I'm here with you. And then, you know, the, 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 so the, the kind of, the, so in other words, once the child feels safe in their bodies, then the parent tries to connect with them and tries to kind of acknowledge how they're feeling and names that feeling for them. And it's only when you've gone through those steps that you can go to the E, which is empowerment, which is giving your child the tools to manage their anxiety. And that's where I have chapters on mindfulness, on play, play-based approaches, because I think play is really important with kids. Play is the opposite of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And also um, cognitive behavioral therapy, which I know you have written about a lot in your book. And kindfulness, which is kind of like the child form of compassion, which is like the child looking at, you know, like, you know, defeating their, you know, the, the kind of inner bully voice that we all have, how the yes. child can help themselves with that. Wow, that just sounds, sounds like such a, a clear cut approach. And I love the structure. I think that, I, I mean, I get asked a lot, okay, my child is anxious. I don't really know how to address it with them. And I'm sure you get asked this all the time as well. But a child has a different brain to an adult in terms of how they're developing. And for me, when I look back on my anxiety as a child, I mean, I think before I understood more about this, I would have thought, oh, like just silly worries and, you know, fears, fears about things that just were obviously silly and stupid. And what I, what I didn't realize was that, well, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the part of our brain that stores a long-term memory or, you know, if we have a scary experience and it goes into that long-term memory and can throw up again later in life, that ability to, to lock in those kind of fear responses can happen in our brain before we've gotten to the point of developing the logic and the reason and like the rationality part of our brain. So there's a couple of years there that are so crucial where if a child has an experience that to an adult might seem like nothing, but can really set in stone the environment for anxiety and anxiety response to be something that they would naturally gravitate towards. Is that right? Absolutely, Caroline. I think one of the things I really wanted to do with my book, because I was that anxious child, and I know you were that anxious child, and I, you know, I remember being given placebo drugs for my tummy aches, mm. and I really was truly, truly anxious, and it felt really real to me, and I felt like I really wanted parents out there to know, like, it was almost like my self-healing, writing the chapter about, about anxiety, and to kind of say, it feels really, really real. You're, it's like I use a metaphor, which I found which is kind of like you're on a, on a motorway and it's like your brakes aren't quite working and everybody's telling you your brakes are fine, but you know your brakes aren't okay. So then you start to avoid that motorway because you just know that, you know, you're, you're just so afraid that something is going to happen. And I suppose we all have an amygdala, which is kind of that fierce warrior part of the brain that, that helps you to fight or run away when you need to. And that's really an important part of the brain. But the problem is it, it kind of goes off without, it, it kind of goes off even when it smells burnt toast. It doesn't know the difference between burnt toast and a, bur a building burning down, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As, as you know from your book as well. And it just kind of switches on when it thinks it might, there might be trouble. And so even a memory, because the hippocampus is right near the amygdala and the hippocampus and the amygdala are kind of very related to how we um, kind of store memories and process memories. So in other words, if you have any reminder of something that was scary and that made your body feel scared, then you're going to have that bodily response the next time. And then that bodily response is actually going to tell your brain, this is something to be really scared of. And so you start to develop fears of things that are not actually, you know, that weren't actually scary to begin with. Um, and, and like that actually happens to children and to adults, in fact, mm. but with kids, I guess their brains are much more underdeveloped and they don't have access to that thinking part of their brain when they're really anxious. And the parent's role is to restore the, the kind of to, to calm the child enough so that they can restore that thinking part of their brain. Yeah, I suppose because if, if you or I have a thought that is catastrophic or worst case scenario, uh, presuming that we've been looking after ourselves 
as, as you taught me, the prefrontal cortex can step in and mediate a fear or a worry and say, look, I hear you, but it's okay. A child doesn't have that advantage. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, I suppose a child's prefrontal cortex, we don't really kind of fully develop it until we're in our kind of early 20s. And that's so late. That I mean, that just explain that explains so much of my like teenage anxiety and how real and how big and valid it feels to you at the time. But to an adult, how it just seems like, why can't you just not think that way or feel that way? Totally. It's like the scariest thing. And like, that's why I really wanted to kind of give my experience. And I didn't want to blame my parents. And I know you didn't want to either, because you know, it's not about blame. It's just about kind of saying, look, this was really hard at the time and really wanting, you know, adults to understand what this feels like and not to minimize. I had a parent, like I have a lot of case studies running through my book and I had a parent contact me once to say that she had gone to a psychotherapist who'd said, no, don't bring up anxiety with your child because it's only going to make, you know, it's all about this like you know, it's a snowflake generation. And Mm -hmm. if you talk to them about anxiety and mental health, it'll only make them worse. And for me, that just kind of almost like horrified me because I was just like, no, please, just like the best way to bring it up is to bring it up. It's normalize it. Absolutely. It's okay. It's not like it's the worst thing in the world. As you know yourself, it like anxious people can be extremely creative people, very sensitive people. It doesn't mean that it's there's something wrong with you. It just means that your brain, it, your amygdala is just kind of a little bit overactive and it's not your fault. And there's lots that, that can be done to help. But I just, you know, that's why I kind of said to this mum, please bring it up with your child between now and next week. It was her teenage child. And, you know, just kind of say to her, look, I've noticed that you've been avoiding this and that it's been hard for you to do this. And the following week they came back in and the mother kind of the mother said, I am so glad I did that. And I now know the reason that I was avoiding it was because I didn't want to feel my child's pain and I think that's what the problem is very often with parents is they don't want to go down the road of talking about really difficult feelings because they're it just is it's too painful for them to feel their child's pain but Mm -hmm. really as Brene Brown says and I know you love her as well it's about kind of moving towards vulnerability and pain that actually helps us to like move move on you know move on with it if you know what I mean oh yeah it's so important so I think we'll we'll talk first about maybe younger kids and then we'll talk a little bit about teenagers but for for younger kids and I remember this for myself I mean you just wouldn't have had and especially I mean now we've got a lot more awareness but back in the day I don't even think my parents would have had awareness to identify anxiety within me so it's it's definitely I would never blame them it just wasn't something that we had an insight into but if you're a child and you're scared it's going to manifest in some other way like and the most common is like tummy issues and I always had a pain in my tummy I don't feel well I don't feel well and there was never ever any correlation between the two so how how like is it hard for parents to even know that their kid is anxious in the first place because they might they're not going to have the wording to come and say and you know I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed Yeah, I think for very young children, like if you're talking about kids and, you know, very, very young children, you know, it kind of manifests more in in physical symptoms. I mean, I remember being about eight or nine and it was very much about stomach issues. But for like a three or four year old, it could be bedwetting. It could be, you know, um, like regressing in their behavior, wanting their dodi back or, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, when a child is young, fears are kind of more immediate and tangible, like separation from a loved one or fear of strangers. And as the child gets older, fears seem to be more abstract, like, you know, they might be more anticipating problems as you get older, like what if, are focusing on like less tangible things like bad dreams or someone getting hurt or struggling at school. So like, you know, it, it kind of manifests in very different ways. But I think back in the day when we were having our stomach issues, I think the link wasn't really being made with anxiety. But now I think kids get referred to me when, say, the stomach ache has been kind of, you know, explored with the doctor and there's been there's been no medical issue been found for that. And then they come into me as a psychologist and we start to kind of un, kind of pick what might have happened in the last few years that might have led them to feel uh, anxious in that way. And I imagine that that's hard for the parent because we tend to think that to justify anxiety, something bad has had to happen, or maybe they will think it's a failing on their part, but it's a physical response. I mean, it could just be a case of, you know, like for me, it was um, a combination. I think now if I look back 
and I, and I, I think about it my parents were my were traveling they worked as travel agents and i and i was i kind of just missed them a lot i think i just had separation anxiety and then my grandparents all died quite close together and i remember i've said this so many times in the podcast but i remember my parents saying to me trying to reassure me do you know your, your nana's still with you and i was like what like she's a ghost i was terrified i was like i don't and that image of my nana still being around even though she was dead for some reason just kind of triggered this um, response in me that I just for for about I don't know how many months after my grandparents died I would not sleep on my own I had to sleep in my brother's bed and he was six years older than me I'm like oh get away and you know so it's oh it's just it's 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 so so hard but it doesn't it doesn't have to mean I mean I had a very lovely upbringing I didn't have any bad experiences but that that might seem so silly to an adult or so like oh they'll get over it they'll grow out of it it's really important that you kind of come down to the child's level isn't it and and address their concerns and their worries but to help them even identify them in the first place yeah absolutely caroline like you know i think you know in my book i talk about how about 15 percent of kids are born with a more anxious temperament so there are some people probably like you and i that you know we might have perfectionistic tendencies i'm not saying you do i, I definitely do <laughs> i look at your work and i think she must <laughs> she must do um and we've worked together so i know that you 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 know you you work really you know you're you're you can be like that and so can i and you know it's just it's actually something we're born with like they've done studies on babies to see you know what their temperaments are like within a few weeks of being born and they they they've put kind of like you know, um, something over their cots to see what kind of reactions certain babies have over others. And then five years later, they go back to those children to see what kind of temperaments they developed. So I kind of talk about anxiety as being like a combination of maybe having a more anxious temperament, which you could develop kind of, you know, hereditarily, you know, like genetically, you might kind of, um, you know, get that, but not necessarily. But then that's a combination of that. And probably like, as you said, for yourself, you know, your parents were away a lot, then your grandparents died. And then you had this magical thinking where, you know, for you, your imagination was the same as reality. And if your mm. parents tells you that, you know, they're with you, and they're trying, they're trying their best to explain that to you, but they don't realize you know, like say when my little six-year-old says, mommy, I feel like there's a monster in the room. It would be so easy for me to say, but there's no monster in the room and don't worry, there's no monster. But like, she really feels there's a monster in the room. So I need to put myself into her shoes. And that's why I like, I have a chapter on play because there's playful ways to deal with that. Where I might say to her, Amy, like, okay, you feel like there's a monster in the room. Let's let's talk about this monster. Could we make this monster a bit sillier and put like a pink tutu on the monster? Or, you know, could we use this spray over here to like, you know, to kind of kill the monster? Or could we use this special little gem next to your bed and that will protect you against the monster? So there are really playful ways in my book that I talk about that you know, that really go down to the child's level rather mm. than trying to use rationality, which doesn't really work with them as a young child. Oh, yeah. And it's amazing just to know that the book has those sort of, um, I guess, guides that you could follow. Because it's like, what if your kid comes to you and says, oh, I'm scared of this thing? And, you know, what do I say? I guess that you must get asked that all the time. I have loads of like... I suppose my book is like a culmination of like 20 years of case studies of the best kind of, I've run a lot of groups for parents with anxiety, for children with anxiety. I've had loads of kids come into me and I've been an anxious kid. I am a parent. And I guess it's kind of just culminating the best, you know how in your book you'd loads of practical exercises. Mm. Well, I wanted to do the same. So I've got like a big appendix section at the end that has loads of really playful ways and you know story storytelling and mindfulness practices for kids really kind of simple ways of actually building that relationship with your child and helping them with specific parts of anxiety and then the cbt chapter is kind of more geared towards teenagers okay and do you think it's fair to say that if you put in that work with your child to come down to their level and help them process their fears and worries no matter how silly they might seem to you as, as an adult do you think that that will help them cope much better later on in life. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Oh, oh my God, I, I cannot tell you how much, like, if you, resilience is all about coping with a manageable threat and, you know, or facing a manageable threat and having a soothing presence by your side, which is your parent, so, or whoever, you know, you're closest to. Yeah. So if you have enough experiences of being soothed, and it doesn't have to be, I always talk about good enough parenting, it doesn't have to be 100% of the time. You know, if, if you have enough experiences of being soothed and, and fe feeling felt where you're, you really feel like your parent has tried to understand that you feel like there's a monster in the room or that you feel like your granny is going to get into bed with you. And so, like, you know, for, to feel understood, the more experiences you have, that actually shapes your brain so that you expect it almost like provides this psychological immune system to like the, the detrimental effects of stress later on in life. And it really creates those brain pathways that make you expect soothing from relationships as you get older. So it means you'll seek out more healthy relationships as well. So if, is there anything that you would say a parent should look out for or just keep an eye on, you know, just so that they know, okay, maybe that's, maybe this is something manifesting, um, maybe it's anxiety manifesting something else here. Like what, what would be the kind of things that you would say are most common or, or just to maybe when should a parent step in and, and, and maybe address something for a younger child? Yeah, I suppose like if a child is having like excessive anxiety and worry about a number of events or activities, worry that's hard to control, restlessness, becoming tired easily, hard, difficulty concentrating, irritability, muscle tension, sleep problems, trouble in school, like basically their behavior has changed and this goes on for at least six months, then I think it's time to talk to your GP and to maybe, you know, get seen by somebody and get some help. There are obviously like a book can really, you know, reading a good book can really help, but I think sometimes there's nothing like actually talking to somebody if you're very concerned for your child because it can be easier sometimes for your child to be talking to somebody and for you to feel supported in that as well. Mm -hmm. So I think all of those things can kind of alert you if it's really impacting on their lives. And as we said with CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy, it's all about how are the child's worries impacting on their thoughts, on their feelings and their physical sensations? And are they starting to avoid situations? Because if they're starting to avoid things, I'm sure you did and I did as well. Mm. I hated going to crowded places. I didn't want to kind of sleep on my own. I just, I don't know, I just had this real kind of, you know, fear. And then the more you avoid them, the more you think you're justified in avoiding them. Yeah. So I think if it starts to restrict their life, like parents might say to me, well, I can't leave the room or I can't, you know, my child won't go and do their lovely activity anymore. You know, when it really impacts on their lives, then I think it's time to kind of seek help. It's really hard to know, I imagine, when to have, you know, the approach of saying, you know, if this is scaring you, let's just not do it anymore. Or the approach that says, push through it, you're fine. Is there two camps of of parenting styles where one side maybe is conscious that maybe we are creating a generation of, of I hate that word snowflakes, but we're overindulging too much in, in little things that maybe we think they just should get over. 
or is there is there a risk then that if you minimize it you make it worse like i would i would always err on the side of if you try to diminish what someone no matter what age they're going through you'll make it worse for them but do, is there is there a risk of rushing straight to a psychiatrist Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess I call like my book is Love In, Love Out, a compassionate approach to parenting your anxious child. And I know we might associate the word compassionate with soft. And I get that yeah. because, you know, that's kindness and all of that. But what I would argue in my book is that the compassionate approach, kind of the softer approach initially, which is all about kind of looking into yourself as a parent, anchoring your child to safety when they're really deep in that kind of major anxiety panic that you know, it's really important to go with where their brain is at in that moment. I think like what I'm trying to say is that the compassionate approach is the balance you find between, you know, kind of understanding, trying to understand your child, letting them know you understand your child. And then once they come back, once their prefrontal cortex comes back into action, they can think clearly again. Then you start to think about ways that they can kind of face their fears gradually because we don't want kids to stay home from school we don't want kids to avoid the things that they love doing we really want to empower them but we cannot empower them until we really help them to feel safe and connected with us and it's the same for you caroline it, you know if, if you're you know husband now i was going to say your boyfriend but your <laughs> husband if he was to say to you when you were having a panic attack or whatever he'd be like well, here's a solution for you. You'd be like, no, no, seriously, I'm really panicking right now. The best thing is for somebody to say, oh my God, that looks really difficult. That's so hard for you right now. Just sit down for a second, cuddle into me or else I'll bring you a cup of tea and just kind of, let's just breathe together. Let's just calm down together. I'm here for you. I love you. And then there's always a moment after that for talking about how tomorrow we're, and that's where my CBT yeah. chapter comes in, where we talk about, like I use this fearometer, which is basically asking your child on a scale of one to 10, how anxious are you right now? So that you can even start to scale how anxious something makes them. And I have a st stairway to bravery in my book as well, which is all about, you know, like say a child has a phobia or they're really fearful of something, how you can develop the steps to lead up to the thing that they're most afraid of. So mm. really the compassionate approach for me in my mind is actually about finding the balance between holding them safe and encouraging them to face their fears. Yeah, I actually interviewed, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Kristen Neff. Oh my God, my husband calls her Dr. Crystal Meth. <laughs> <laughs> well, She's amazing. Oh my yeah. God, I love her so much. Well, you are alongside her in the guests for season four of Only a Anxiety podcast, but she, we had a great, great, great chat about compassion. And as you know, it's a game changer for me when it comes to my own anxiety um, as an adult, but she's very clear to point out like, like what you said there that like, compassion doesn't mean self-pity or self-indulgence compassion sometimes can be a bit of tough love as well it's it's about it's about being there for yourself or being there for your child or how can we make things better not oh don't be ridiculous absolutely because i suppose you can't get to the next level and it's that's why i talk a lot in my book about how parents can help themselves with kind of you know you know, with their own soothing systems, how they can help themselves because the child is going to mirror the parent's soothing. So if the parent isn't soothing themselves, isn't showing themselves compassion, then the child is not going to be able to. The child looks to the parent to figure out how big this threat is. And if the parent is freaking out and, and not kind of looking after themselves and not able to reflect on themselves, then the child is gonna follow suit. So really, you know, if, if all the parent did was to start to kind of do a little bit of self-reflection, and I talk a lot about attachment theory and this amazing concept about shark music, which is this idea of, you know, the echoes of your childhood wounds kind of determine how you respond to your child's different feelings. And so therefore, like sometimes if I, I get a lot of parents that come into me and their child is anxious and it really, really gives them this visceral kind of feeling inside their bodies, which is like, I can't deal with this. And they start to freeze. And it's so it's really important for us, like children react to parents' say, signals of safety. So you could be telling your child, 
calm down and everything's okay. But if you're saying it in a really stressed out way and you're kind of not showing safety in your body and how you react, then they're not going to feel safe. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I imagine, I imagine it's harder with teenagers and I do feel a bit of anxiety myself about the idea that I will have a teenager someday, but teenagers are a little bit, it's quite a, a challenging time because they, like you say, they still maybe haven't developed the prefrontal cortex yet, but they're, they want to assert their independence. They want, they may, may be having sort of feelings of, of defiance and not wanting to appear to need comfort and reassurance from parents. So that can be a very, very tricky time, you know, for a parent to know how to approach their teenager. Because like for me, my, when my anxiety, it was pretty, pretty bad as a teenager and it was all manifesting in gut issues. And I, and now when I look back, I think it was probably partly gut issues so I was lactose intolerant I was probably eating the wrong things but an awful lot of it was anxiety that just fueled the gut issues and then the gut issues fuel the anxiety and I felt so much pressure because I just thought everyone else my age is just you know full of confidence they want to go to parties and be as far away from home as possible and it's embarrassing for me to admit that I just want to curl up with my mom and have her cuddle me when I'm 17 is it a different approach again with a teenager I think, I, you know, I've heard it said that we under, we overparent our under 10 year olds and we underparent our over 10 year olds. And just because, uh, you know, they're your teenager doesn't mean, and they might tell you to go away or they might kind of, you know, give you the impression that they've got it, you know, they've got it all sorted or they don't want you there. In fact, the, you know, when it, when during like brain development during teenagehood is so huge that they need their parents more than ever in terms of helping them. But obviously that help is different. You mightn't be doing the kind of playful, you know, let's, yeah. let's deal with the monster kind of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So how do you broach it with a teenager if they're, if they're not really willing to come to you with it? I think it's kind of like with a teen, a lot of their anxieties tends to, to stem a, a lot around social issues. You know, you, I get yeah. a lot of social phobia, a lot of kids with, you know, they're finding it hard to be in class with other kids. And then you've got the pressure of the exams and everybody like I talk about the perfect storm in my book, which is all about like the, the way our modern lives are in terms of you know, this kind of pursuit of, you know, having to be the best and, you know, all of the exams and, you know, this is your last chance and all of that, like teens are really taking this on and also mm -hmm. social media and the impact of what that's like to be comparing yourself to others. And then I kind of talk about the perfect storm as being the relationship between that. And we've talked about the negativity bias before as well, which is like your brain, you know, attunes more to negative stuff. And then if you combine all of that together, it's the perfect storm because we yeah. have these ancient brains, you know? So I think for a teenager, they're kind of taking on a lot of pressures that even us as teenagers didn't have in terms of, you oh, know, yeah. exam, you know, we had exams, but maybe it was, you know, we didn't have maybe like, this is all or nothing. And, you know, they have the pressure of social media and trying to look a certain way and trying to be a certain way. And, you know, all it's huge for them. So I think as a parent, to try to put yourself into their shoes and to try to still connect with them, but it might be side to side rather than face to face. It's finding little opportunities, maybe not saying, look, I really need to talk to you and being really serious, but kind of when you're on your way to school or when you're on your way somewhere on a walk, maybe making time for things that your teenager likes to do, having a cup of tea together and having a little chat and saying, look, I noticed that, you know, when we went there the other day, you kind of, you know, kind of letting them know what you've noticed and then seeing how they react. And they may not want to talk to you in that moment, but coming back to it again and not taking it, you know, as at face value, I don't want to talk about this. Mm -hmm. You're there, your role as, as their helper to help to soothe their anxiety is there, you know, as importantly as it is for when they're younger, but it's just, Sometimes it's about changing the approach that you use. And then in my book, I suppose I talk a lot about cognitive, I have a whole chapter in cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a therapy that's kind of much more suited towards that older age group. And also mindfulness can be really, really helpful for that age group as well. And there's loads of apps and resources that I have in my book that might be helpful for that age group and, you know, kind of techniques that you can use with them. Mm, amazing. And can, can I ask your thoughts on a parent showing 
their vulnerability to their child or to their teenager like would and and this comes up all the time in like professional environments as well is it helpful to see that your boss is sometimes unsure of themselves or has anxieties or do you want the person that you're looking up to to seem infallible which which is more helpful for their anxiety I think, Caroline, if you want to grow a human, you need to be human, right? So if you kind of show, if you like hide all of your vulnerabilities and your feelings and the difficulties you have, then your child is going to learn that that's the way you should be in the world. and, And perfectionism is what you're looking for. And like at the end of the day, we all struggle. That's why I love compassion focused therapy. It talks about our common humanity. We all struggle and it's okay to struggle. It's part of kind of normal life. And I think, you know, there's a balance there again. Obviously, if you're feeling anxious as a parent or you're feeling kind of overwhelmed, you can let your child in a little bit on, you know, say if you're repairing something, like if you're, if you were really stressed one night and you're saying to them the next day or that night, look, I'm really sorry. I was short tempered with you because I'm feeling stressed about work at the moment. And this is going on for me and without too much detail. And it all depends on how old your child is. Uh, Obviously as they get older, you might kind of share a little bit more with them. But Mm -hmm. if you feel like that overwhelm is getting to the point of you're actually relying on your child for kind of support, then I think you really need to go and get some help from the people you love around you or to get some professional help. So it's finding that balance. But I think showing your humanity is hugely important. And it's okay to say to your child, I struggle with that myself because they're going to feel so much less alone. You can talk, Mm -hmm. like you can talk to your child, you know, if your child ever ends up and every child will end up with some anxiety at some point. But, um, you know, to say, look, I struggled with that when I was a kid and this is how I felt. And immediately your child will feel more understood. I guess my parents probably would have shied away from you know, letting me see any any vulnerabilities or fears because they didn't want to worry me or they wanted, if, if they're my guardian and they're my anchor and they're my, my kind of port in a storm, if I feel like they're untethered, then does that have an impact on me? But- I think it's the timing issue. It's like if they're, if your child is untethered and really overwhelmed and in, a, in their fight or flight mode, I don't think that's the time to yeah. tell them that you're anxious. You're trying, <laughs> yeah. to, you're trying to exude calmness and you might have to fake it initially. Like you might have to fake calmness, okay? So it might be like, oh my God, I'm freaking out in my head, but I'm going to be really calm in my voice. And sometimes we have to do that. We have to make a choice we have to we have to go against what our gut is telling us and we have to make a choice to kind of exude calmness and it takes a lot of um, practice but i think at other points when your child is back into their prefrontal cortex and like that whole safe approach that i adopt really follows the way the brain processes information and once they're back into the thinking part of their brain then you can you know at other moments when they're feeling strong when they're feeling more when they're more vibrant you can let them in a little bit about what goes on for you if you want but just you know kind of in a very balanced way but choose your moments there there tends to always be sort of a a knee-jerk reaction to trying to respond to someone's anxiety or your own anxiety when you're in the midst of feeling the anxiety but i know that you would agree that it's very important to to do what we know works for us when we feel well and so I'm wondering for you like what's your advice around say you're having you know dinner with your family every day if you're lucky enough to do so around normalizing mental health or having an off day or not not having you know always having a string of perfect days to the extent that it's just part of everyday conversation so that when you do feel a bad day it's not like oh my god what is what does this mean you know is this the end of the world how do you normalize it or is it something that you want to bring up often or like what kind of language can you use just to make a safe space where people can you know talk about how they're feeling whether it's good or bad well i think with kids you know they they're not great at answering questions like so if you say how was your day if you ask an open-ended question they won't really be like fine because yeah. they're tired so what little kind of little techniques that I kind of talk about in the book are kind of things like, can you tell me the, the best part of your day and the least best part of your day or the, you know, the worst okay. part of your day? So actually it, it can kind of, you know, suddenly my eight-year-old will be saying, well, I really loved when I, you know, did this in class and coloring or whatever. And then the worst part was when my friend ignored me in the playground or whatever, do you know? So you're suddenly getting more information. You can also do the, 
can you tell me two truths and one lie and I'll guess what the lie is. Do you know that kind of way? <laughs> mm -hmm. So it, you, you just find creative ways of speaking to your child, um, you know, about stuff like that. And, and then you tell them the best and the worst part of your day. So it's kind of like you're just, it's the language of feelings. It's not necessarily the language of mental health and are we okay? Are we not okay? Or yeah. it's the language of just saying, this is the way, you know, my day was, it was a bit difficult, you know, I'm annoyed with my boss or this is going on or whatever. And it's just literally having the open communication so that your child knows that they can come to you with difficult stuff. Like life is hard and we need to like help our kids to deal with the hard so that they can deal with it when themselves as they get older. Mm, absolutely. And I suppose with teenagers then, would you apply the same approach if you know, if you're suspected or maybe when, when they're in, in a good phase, like how, how do you approach just normalizing everyday talk about feelings and, and then being comfortable with the fact that you're going to have just a shit day sometimes. And it doesn't have to mean that you're in an anxiety spiral or that you need help, but that it's very, very normal not to always be in great form. Yeah, I, I think using prompts. So like, you know, kind of knowing what they're interested in can be really good. So if they just happen to be watching a particular program on telly, or I suppose they're all watching YouTube nowadays, or, you know, or you might ask them maybe about something going on with their friend. So they might be more likely to be able to talk about how their friend is getting on or that person on telly or on YouTube or whatever. And you kind of use... You, you mightn't ask them a direct question, but you can kind of use other prompts to kind of get warm with them. And then, you know, if you have a question, you could, you could, you could ask, you know, I think it's, it's, um, I think if you develop that relationship with them as they're younger, it'll become more natural as they get older. But I think the conversation, the way you converse might change a little bit, but just kind of I think if you share a little bit of what's going on in your life, they're more likely to share what's going on for them. Absolutely. When I think about my first book, Owning It, um, and who it's for, you know, obviously it's marketed towards someone who's going through a hard time with anxiety, but I just wish that people who didn't have anxiety would read it so that they understand how anxiety can happen, how normal it is, how the brain works, how the body works, so that when they do come to feeling anxious, which, you know, is inevitable for all of us, they kind of have that information there. Your book sounds an awful lot like a, a really essential read for parents and not like in general, not just for if and when your parent, your child is feeling anxious. Absolutely, Caroline. Like I actually wrote 120,000 words that like my best 120,000 words that were cut into 70,000 words for this book. And I would have loved to have written a book all about like self-care and self-reflection for parents so that they can help their children with all difficult emotions. But I suppose I needed to then kind of hone it in a little bit more on anxiety but I think every parent is going to have a child who deals with some form of anxiety at some point in their lives, be it something small or something bigger. So, yeah, I definitely think even if you don't have a child with anxiety per se, there are chapters in my book that are going to be like the best of my knowledge of, say, attachment theory, the importance of that all that relationship. These, these things that I've learned for myself over the years, even personally as a parent, um, I'm trying to convey th those. I mean, there's definitely another book in me mm. for sure, as as there are many in you. But you're <laughs> totally right, and I agree with your book. It's like this little tool. It's like um, somebody said about my book that it was kind of like this. This um, oh, I can't even think. It's like it's like a bedside Bible. That's what they said. Now I, yeah. I didn't ask them to say it, but it's kind of like something they can dip in and out of. Um, and, and, and it might kind of, I have recommendations of other books in my book, including yours. Oh, thank you. Where people can kind of go in certain directions if they want to know a little bit more about self-reflection, if they want to know a bit more about using play. Do you know, it's kind of like a pit stop tour of the different aspects, anything to do with, um, you know, children's emotions and I suppose anxiety. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so important to understand how normal this is and how common it is and it's not like oh jesus my child has anxiety there's something terribly wrong it can it can be a very simple case of you know a couple of little worries that just grew arms and legs and if you can have if you can have a you know a right the right compassionate approach you can prevent it from snowballing into something that becomes much harder to deal with and having that information um in advance can only ever be a good thing and, and make you feel more confident and empowered as a parent to be able to then empower your child 
Yeah, I really think so. And like, you know, I, I only, I've only had one person read the book so far because um, like, you know, as in um, to test the book before the book came out mm. and she kind of s described it as my gift of love to parents. And I guess for me, it was almost like this self-healing tool, which probably your book was as well for you writing mm. it. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, I, I wanted to exude compassion throughout the book. I was, I'm so passionate about compassion-focused therapy and this idea of parents learning about you know, self-kindness and how important that is. And even if that's all they were to get out of the book, that would, that would help their children and that would help them. So like, you know, I just felt like I want to give my love. I want to be honest. Like I suppose as a psychologist, what people say to me is that they like my approach because I'm quite honest and you know, I, I don't mind, like, even, like, there's a case in point in my book that's actually me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's, yeah. I'm talking about me as a parent and my kind of over-controlling ways and how I've had to, like, work with that. So, mm. you know, I'm not saying it's them and it's it's I'm separate to them. We're all in this together as parents. And I think that's really important to have that tone throughout the book. Amazing. Well, it, it sounds like just... A fantastic read. I can't wait to get my hands on it and I wish you the best of luck with it. It's, I'm, I'm sure it, it's already selling incredibly well and will continue to do so um, and just be the most helpful resource for parents at any stage of being a parent really. So huge congrats and thank you so much for joining me on Owning It The Anxiety Podcast, Dr. Mally Coyne. Thank you so much, Caroline. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.